Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ken. And I'm Tessa. So who are we chatting with today, Tess? Today we're chatting with Erin Longmoon. Erin is the CEO of Zephyr Connects, whose mission is to help connect small businesses with great employees. Given that this represents a universal challenge, almost everyone has tried to find a great business to work for, and many of us have also been on the other side as representatives of a company or government department trying to recruit great employees. Uh, This is useful for everyone to get some tips from Erin that can help us next time we're looking for a job or looking to hire someone. Let's take a listen. So our special guest for this episode of How to Choose is Erin Longmoon, who is the CEO of employment company Zephyr and who is dialing in from Ohio today, or actually (laughs) yesterday, (laughs) given that it's Saturday in America and Sunday here in Australia. So Erin, welcome to How to Choose. Great to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thank you for the invitation. Now, before we start, Erin, can you tell us a bit about your work with Zephyr and what does your company do? Yeah, absolutely. So the full name for our company is Zephyr Connects. And as you mentioned, uh, what we do is we actually help small business employers recruit and find their you know ideal team members so that they can build the team that they need in order to accomplish all their goals and dreams. And uh, we do that, like I said, with small business owners, we do any position that they need and we just become the recruiting department is really how we're set up. Excellent. And can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be working in this role? Yeah, it's kind of a roller coaster ride of a background, <laughs> but um, let's just say that you know my my path led me here without me realizing it to some degree. But um, I what like the the immediate history is that I had been in business administration in small businesses for you know, well over a couple of decades. I had also tried my hand at owning my own business a couple of times, doing different kinds of things. Um, And all of that led me to become a business coach uh, at around 20, oh, I don't even remember. I can't count that far back, but, you know, 2013 or something like that. And as a business coach, um, again, I worked only with small business employers. Most of my clients either were, you know, two employees on up to about 50. And, Uh, you know, in helping them try to figure out how to grow their business, streamline their processes, become more efficient, just become kind of help them grow up as a company. I was watching and observing over a number of years that the hiring piece of being a small business owner was by far the most challenging, as well as it was the one, at least here in the United States, that had the least amount of resources and support. You know, traditional recruiters here are very, very expensive, and they don't really focus on the things that small business employers really need. So um, after a number of years and seeing this huge need, I started to slowly pivot my services and started adding recruiting and I started doing it. And then, you know, another year later, it just became so obvious that that was what I needed to do, you know, for, for my clients and to move forward. So I pivoted the whole company. We no longer do the business coaching and we became this really awesome boutique recruiting firm. And that's really interesting because I've been involved in a couple of recruitment activities and I've seen the huge overhead that can be required to to carry through a recruitment activity from start to finish. And, you know, if you don't have training and expertise in that, it is really, really challenging to manage all of those elements of it because there's a lot to it. And But one of the things that sort of struck me most recently, we ran a, a recruitment activity, some of my team coordinated and set it up and ran it. 
And at the end of it, we didn't find a person to fill this position. So after all this work and time, because it takes a long time, it's not just the actual work, it's the duration of time, we didn't get someone. And so I'm conscious that this work at times has the potential to be a bit discouraging. What is it that you love about the work? You know, actually, we love the process because we do have a, a process that we developed over years and just going through the motions. But really what keeps us going is the passion when we find the right match. We really, we internally at my at my company consider ourselves matchmakers, you know, and when we find that ideal, that that really kind of like unique person that our client needs and, the, and vice versa, like that specific candidate is really looking for a company just like what our client is like, what their culture is, what the team dynamics are like, what the goals are. I mean, not just the day-to-day role, but the whole package, then, I mean, there's just like no feeling like it. It's amazing. And that's what kind of keeps us, you know, going. And then the stories that we hear. So we've got some many clients who we work with you know, ongoing for years at a time and help them build an entire team, you know, sometimes from the ground up, but also sometimes it's what we call up-leveling their team. And what it affords the employer is pretty amazing, as well as the employees both. But the kind of freedom that the business owners start to be able to realize, to focus on what either is their, you know, their own passion, their strengths, where they really need to focus their attention. And they now have a team that can help them grow this business that Mm -hmm. they can trust, they can lean in on, you know, they can really, they can really just allow them to flourish and help them achieve the goals they want is pretty incredible stories. So that's really what keeps us going. I think just listening to you, uh, Erin, as well, you clearly exemplify that person who's found something that they're deeply passionate about, which is, I guess, a big part of what we're talking about today, because job hunting and employee hunting, if you're a business owner, is really about trying to find that that really good match as you've, you've described it. So I think maybe as, as a next question then, what we're really trying to do today is to find some really useful practical tips for employers and for employees. But let's start with employees. Now, what are your main tips for potential employees who are looking to find that dream job. Maybe they don't know really exactly what that's going to look like, but they might be in a position where they say, look, we just want to find a job that we're passionate about. Right. So I have a number of tips. So one of the first tips that I always talk to people about job seekers is to actually take the time to really visualize and get clear about what your ideal job is. What is that dream job? And not just elusive thoughts and ideas in your head, like get clarity and write it down. The exercise of literally writing it down and ideally the pencil to paper, the pen to paper versus typing it up um, Mm -hmm. is a really amazing exercise because that process allows you to think bigger. You start pushing yourself to go, but is it really that kind of, let's say, leadership style that I want or do you start to fine fine tune what it is that you really want, what that true dream job is. And think about things like, what are you doing every day? Those are the obvious things, but think about what is the leadership style if you're going to not be in leadership or if you are going to be in leadership, like talk, you know, think about what kind of team you want to build. Think about the culture. Think about the core values that drive that company. Think about the goals of that company. Do they want to grow or are they a very well-established legacy company? Like, 
get really, really detailed, you know, about it. And when you get that clear picture written down, A, it becomes so much easier to recognize when a job like that shows up, right? But it also allows you to not waste your time on jobs that aren't going to fit that, right? So that's, that's the number one tip. The second tip is, you know, really try your best not to compromise. Now, when I say that, I know that people need jobs. They need to pay the bills. They need jobs. So it's okay to have a job that isn't your dream job. But if it's not your dream job, always be looking. So that's kind of like tip 2A, always be looking until you know you found that dream job. Always put yourself out there, be networking, be looking on the job boards, you know, just keep yourself open Mm -hmm. to the to, you know, this job coming, coming into your, you know, ecosystem somehow. And because you now have a clear picture, you'll know when it arrives, Mm. you know, so those are some of the things. The other third thing is when you interview, you know, when you actually do have the opportunity to interview a company, think about it that way. You're interviewing them, not just they're interviewing you, which I think is a really challenging thing for job seekers, especially maybe younger ones or, you know, people who are newer in their career to think about, but it's like, they need to sell you that they're the right fit for you as well. So when they say, do you have any questions for me? Ask lots of questions, you know, like really dig in, ask them to describe the culture, ask them to talk about the team members, ask them to, you know, questions like, how do you guys handle conflict in the workplace? If it happens, how do you, you know, what's the leadership style here and what kind of people work best under that leader? Like get probe deeply because otherwise you won't know, you know, if it really is the dream job. So those are, those are a few tips. I'd like to pick up on a couple of those. I really like that last one. And I can certainly say as someone who has led interview panels that it really does stand out as a positive when you are interviewing someone and you get to the end and you give them that opportunity. Do you have any questions? And they clearly have thought through their questions. And I think one of the things particularly that an employer does look for is people who've done a little bit of research and are genuinely interested in the specifics of the company. Otherwise, you kind of feel like, well, do they even really know what we do? Are they even interested in what we do? So I think demonstrating that level of thinking and even a little bit of research and saying, look, I read on your website that your company does this or offers these conditions. Can you talk more about that? It stands out as something really positive, doesn't it? It does actually. Yes. It makes an enormous impact and impression. And, you know, as recruiters, we're always looking for that. And even if, because two things, it actually speaks not only the volume of, I didn't do my homework if you, you know, if you don't know enough about the company, but it also goes back to that dream job idea. I think most times when someone with, when a job seeker thinks this actually could be my dream job, they usually go that extra mile just in, you know, intuitively and instinctly to, say, or intrinsically, excuse me, in order to, you know, learn more about the company, they get excited, right? And that excitement will come through because of all what you're saying, you know, they've done all the research, maybe they've looked at your social, you know, they've looked at your website, maybe they've listened, you know, to podcasts that perhaps some of the people at the company have been on or whatever. And that really does shine through. And that's a really good cue to an employer Mm. when someone's gone that extra mile, that this is someone to continue the conversation with. It makes me think of the very old book, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie's book, which still resonates today because those principles are so enduring. The idea that if you want to influence someone, you show deep interest in them. 
you know, and, right. and as, as a job seeker, showing deep interest in the company uh, really hits home for people. They feel valued and they think, oh, okay, I like this person. They, they're telling me about my own yep. company. They're, they're reflecting on that. Now, the other question that I thought I might pick up on too is that as you've described those different steps, what you're talking about, Erin, is doing some really solid research and, and reflection. So, so yeah. it's not just information, yeah. but it's really, it's, it's thinking about yourself what do I care yes. about? And I like that very much because in our first season, one of our very first episodes, we talk about intuition when it comes to to making decisions. And I know mm-hmm. lots of people who will say, oh yeah, look, I just got a good feeling about this. I just got a good vibe. There's a whole lot of different things that can give us those good feelings that may not necessarily be enough to help us make a good decision. But I think what you're talking about is, you know, maybe those feelings, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the feelings may still have a place when when you're going through that job seeker process, but there's also some careful thought as well. Yes, I think you have to strike a balance, right? It's it's data, whatever kind of data it is, is always very helpful in making decisions, right? And then yet at the end of the day, I will say at times when we have employer, either candidates or employers kind of going, you know, I'm just not 100% sure. Can you talk it out with me? We will ask the question, well, what does your gut tell you? What does your intuition tell you? And I think what's interesting is so many people will have all the good data, but their gut is telling them something isn't quite right. And and they try so hard to understand what that is. They try to go, okay, well, if my gut doesn't say is why, you know, and they spend so much time getting stuck in the why rather than just saying, I don't know, but this is what my gut's telling me. And yeah. we have, I mean, anecdotal stories around when someone just denies the, the intuitive piece that it ends up not working out. Like mm. something about it doesn't work out. And again, on both sides of the equation, when we've got candidates who are like, well, I really want the job. But something doesn't feel right. And I'm just not sure, but everything's good on paper. And they, you know, the jobs, I'm totally skilled. They're offering me the right offer. Like everything sounds and looks good. Then they end up going in and finding something that isn't the right fit. So there's, but there is a balance because if you just go on gut, mm. you don't have enough information to know if it's, you know, know if that person's even the kind of, you know, the person that will fulfill the job requirements or that will fit with the team, all those things like you do have to do your due diligence. There's no doubt. Yeah. It's fascinating how our intuition works. And and again, something that we, we delved into a bit, there's a researcher, Gary Klein, who's done a lot of work into intuition. And, you know, he said that when experts apply intuition, what they're really doing is there's subconscious patterns that they're recognizing because they've been in the same situation a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand times, and subconsciously they can recognize a pattern that tells them something, and they're not aware what of what that is. The challenge is if you're not an expert, um, you know what you're picking up on could be all kinds of biases, I imagine, and both as an right. employer yep. and an employee. Right. And it's something I know that's big in Australia is to be conscious of our biases. If someone comes in and they you know, you find out they're from a particular, you know, school background or they live in a particular mm-hmm. area and you have an immediate reaction to it. It's just yeah. being able to, you know, acknowledge that to yourself and then just factor that in when you're making your decisions because sometimes we don't know, do we, what's giving us the, that positive or negative feeling. 
That is very true. And yeah, an unconscious bias and even conscious bias definitely is very, it is a big thing here in the US too, just to, just to say, you know, and it's something, you know, in our profession, it's a topic, you know, it isn't just something we take for granted as recruiters. It is our job to check our biases at the door if we can. Now we're human, so they're going to show up. Right. But you do have to be the the more conscious you are of them and where they might be coming from or just that you're bringing them to the table, the better chance you have of being able to say, okay, you take a back seat right now. You know, I really want to be more objective. And that's also really great to lean on people, you know, so like in recruiting process, it's a really good idea to have more than just yourself as as an interviewer, right? You want to either bring in your team or a partner, an outsider, you Mm. know, a company like ours, something like that, who can really truly be either more objective because they're trained or just because they're going to have a different set of biases that they probably bring to the table. And then you can figure out, you know, where maybe some of that intuitive hit stuff is coming from, you know, and that's, that's a really powerful way to help check those at the doors to have other people involved. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And it's, yeah, it's certainly something that the Australian public service uh, insists that we do. We have to have panels, you know, gender diversity on the panels. We have to have people from you know, an outsider who doesn't work in the team. And, and it's, it's a good reminder that even if you're in a small business, you can still benefit from that. You don't. It maybe there's no rules forcing you to do it, but you will benefit by right. doing it. Now, I've got another question for you, and I'm throwing some questions in now that we hadn't kind of thought about previously. Okay, um, bring them on. <laughs> so, but it, it makes me think in mentoring people in the workplace. I, I sometimes hear advice going around that, look, you know, it's better to just apply for anything, even if you're not really sure if you want it or not. More applications are better. And I'm interested in your thoughts on that because I can see that there's the, the saying you've got to be in it to win it. But I think somehow, I, you know, my advice has tended to be, look, don't waste people's time if you're not going to make a proper effort with your application. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can throw the net too wide and you can apply for too many things? Is it better to focus? How do you find that balance? I mean, I, I'm with you. I think it's better to focus. I think quality is better than quantity because ultimately at the end of the day, well, there's a couple of things here. We really believe here at Zephyr that everybody, there is a job out there for you, you know, and probably multiple jobs, you know, think of it as like your soulmate, right? Like there's your soulmate job. There's probably many of them and life is very short, you know, and we spend so much of our time and energy in our jobs and in our careers, whether it's an hourly job that you think of as just a job or whether it's a career and it's a really big part of your life, it doesn't matter. We're putting in a ton of time, a ton of energy. We're with a whole bunch of people on a daily basis, sometimes more than we are our families. So having a job that is the quality, like the right fit for you it's just so important because otherwise you're kind of wasting time, you know? And so I'm with you. I think quality is better than quantity. Now, with that being said, you do have to strike a balance because sometimes you can't tell from a job advertisement or hearing about a job through your network is going to give you enough information to know if that job is the right fit. So you do need to kind of cast your net a little wide because you never know the one, you know, you don't judge a book by its cover, right? So you, you, do need to get experience interviewing, checking out companies, checking out different kinds of roles. That too will give you information. You walk out of an interview and you're like, oh, I don't feel good about this at all. Take a moment and try to figure out why, Mm. you know, articulate that again. And then now go back to that dream job paper and, and add that in, you know, as I don't want this kind of thing. 
So it's not a waste of time per se, but be thoughtful about it, you know, be intentional about it. Especially if you're newer in your career, you do need to get experience with interviewing. Mm -hmm. The first 10 interviews you have, you're going to fumble. You're going to have a hard time figuring out your brain is not going to show up in in the way it should. The prefrontal cortex will be a little, a little late to the party. So you need experience. Right. And so, you know, in those cases, yeah, you know, throw your throw your net a little bit broader, but but don't settle. I get at the end of the day, just don't settle. Yeah, wonderful advice. Now, if if we flip this and we've talked about employees and job seekers, mm-hmm. how about now we talk a little bit about employers? So how how can employers maximize their chance of finding a great employee or or an employee that's a great match for their company? You know, the, it's, the advice isn't terribly um, dissimilar, actually. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we always tell people is get clarity. Yeah. So you have to know your business. You need to know your core values. You need to know your culture. You need to be able to articulate it. You know, you need to be able to explain it to somebody. And every company, by the way, has culture, whether you kind of know what it is and you can describe it, it has it. Same thing with core values. Every company has core values and you need to be able to stay, you know, articulate those, know what they are, describe them to people. You need clarity. You also need clarity. Um, We use a lot of marketing kind of mindset and techniques at Zephyr. So we think about for employers, you need to have a clear picture of your target employee. And I know no one can see me, but I'm saying this with air quotes, just like you would your target client, right? Your target customer. You need to know their persona. You need to understand their demographics. You need to understand their profile. Again, just like the employee, have a clear picture of who it is you're looking for, but not just the tests and the education and, you know, their experience, go deeper into their core values, what intrinsically motivates them, what kind of leadership, you know, style do they work under? What kind of a leader are they? Um, All the things, again, that more holistic view and get really clear because it's the same thing. You won't recognize them if you're not clear of what you're looking for. So that's number that's number one. I don't know how much time we have because I certainly have like a few more tips. Oh no, we've got we've got share. plenty of time. And people, I can okay. assure you, people will find this very helpful. This is great. Okay, good, good, good. Um, so another one then is going back to the marketing idea. Now you've got this clear picture of who you're looking for, really clear. Now you have to think about it from that same marketing perspective that you do your regular marketing you know, what kind of messaging is going to attract that kind of person to my job post, my job advertisements? Um, Where are they hanging out? You know, are they going to be on job boards or are they going to be more like on a LinkedIn or are they going to be at a local association or a local university? Like, where are they? And then you have to create your mark, like your strategy to to find them and for them to find you Mm. with those things in mind. So you want your messaging to be very targeted at them. And the way we do it at Zephyr is very different. We do a couple different things. We use, um, we call them catch questions, but they're like carefully worded questions that have the hooks basically of why you are a great place to work. Like why they would want to apply to your job, for example, right? And you got to kind of sell yourself first. And then later down in the job advertisement, you can start talking about what they need to bring to the table, but you want them to stop and read your job advertisement. That's step number one, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to have something that's compelling, interesting, and will grab their attention. 
rather than the old dry, you know, kind of yeah. job posts that a lot of people do. So use your marketing knowledge, or if you've got someone in your, you know, like you've got a marketing team or whatever, work with them to come up with great messaging. Um, and so then, and again, where then put it out where they're hanging out. So if they happen to be on Instagram, put your posts on Instagram. You know, if they happen to be in job boards, because you know, you're looking for active job seekers, make sure you're there. Just make sure that your stuff is out wherever it is you think that they're that where they're hanging out. So those are a few few more tips. Fantastic. Yeah, it's very practical. And, we, and as you describe it, it makes a lot of sense. But it, what strikes me is that, you know, sometimes we just fall back into the familiar ways of doing things. You know, this is the way it's always been done. So we just keep doing it because this is the normal way. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, there's no point advertising something in a place that nobody's going to see it or the wrong people are going to see it. So right. that's really right. helpful. Now, we talked a bit about values then. And I think that, you know, I, I remember doing a university subject recently where we were looking at company performance and integrity. And one of the things that they highlighted is that, you know, there are companies who, if you read their values on their value board, they sound fantastic. Mm-hmm. But some of these companies, they don't behave with a lot of integrity. I mean, nobody's going to have as a list of values, you know, we cheat, we lie, we, yeah, bully, right. you know. <laughs> so, yes. So how do we find what the real values are, both within an employee, in an interview and within, you know, for the employer itself? What are some good mm-hmm. questions that can be asked to try and get to the core of what those values are? So there's many, thank you. That's such a great question, by the way. And, and there's a couple different approaches that we can talk about. Um, one of them that I find is the, probably one of the most effective and really gets to the core, like the true core is asking story-based questions. So not yes or no questions. You want someone to start telling you a story, but you ask the questions. I might have to give examples to really illustrate what I mean here, but where people will demonstrate their behavior when a core value is violated. Mm. So it's easy to say, tell me about a time, you know, and it's all very positive and stuff. And that's that you actually won't understand their core values as much. Yeah. You're going to understand behavior and what they've learned. But like a question, for example, an employee could ask an employer is under what conditions would you fire a client? Yeah. Right. right. Like, tell me about that. Or under what conditions do you let employees go. And you can say, I know this is a weird question, but Mm. this is going to teach me a lot about what you guys really value, what really drives your values. So, and then employers can do something similar. What, you know, tell me about like, first off, have you ever left a job on your own? Have you quit a job? Tell me about it. Tell me why. Mm. And hopefully you'll hear a story that will, it will unveil their core values. It really will. And if they haven't left a job, you can say, well, wonder what conditions would you leave a job? I do have to point out a quick thing here, if I can, that's sort of, it's related. The only way people are really going to feel comfortable sharing these kinds of things and who will really share who they are and what drives them is if you create a space of safety in the interview process. Hmm. So you have to, and that has to start from the moment you connect with someone. Hmm. So, you know, letting them know, and it's not, not just in words, but in your behavior, that this is a safe place for you to share who you are. So, Hmm. you know, and share something real about your company. Like, and, you know, Hmm. at Zephyr, we're kind of a startup. We're a little bit chaotic. You know, we're trying to find our way. We're in the toddler phase of business. So Hmm. I tell people that, you know, I'm not going to hide the bad. I'm going to tell them about the challenges of being an employee here, as well as all the great things. Mm. And so by me sharing the good and the maybe, you know, more challenging side first, 
mm. lets them know that it's safe for them to do the same in return. That's great. And I can imagine, Aaron, too, that that then gives you a better chance of making a great match. So is it better yes. to get a, you know, be honest up front and then save the kind of pain of, well, maybe three months down the track, we find these things out and separate as an employer yeah. or employee. So yeah, I, I really like that. I think that's that's fantastic. Now you've touched on this one already, but I might just go back to it quickly. I came across a tweet recently from an investor, Nate Anglin, and he said, if you're not dying to hire somebody, don't make an offer. Now, the thing with Twitter or X, I think, as it's now called, is that yeah. um, you know you can you can give these little bite-sized comments that sound great. They don't really capture any nuance. They're always fairly simplistic. I just wondered, you know, how realistic is this? I, I think from what you've said already, you really want to continue to look for that dream job. You don't want to give up and just settle for something that you really don't enjoy. But I think, is there also a balance in this as well, that practically speaking, we need good employees? Maybe we're not going to always find the best of the best of the best. Is that something that we need to keep in mind as well? Yeah. You know, that's funny. I love that you say that the best of the best of the best, because in in our in our viewpoint here at Zephyr, there isn't technically a best of the best of the best. What is best? It's someone who fits your unique business, mm. right? And so someone who maybe doesn't even do a very good job at another company in your same industry down the street might be the best employee at your company. Because yeah. again, core values and that culture fit is such a key component to getting it right on both sides, the employee and the employers. So one, I wanted to just address that. Like, let's yeah. be careful. We don't we don't buy into the concepts of top talent A players here. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people use those terms. I mean, what we do is we just twist it. Top talent is what's top talent in your company. Yeah, you know, that's correct. and not necessarily, yeah. So that's one piece. But um, now go back to your question because I kind of I know I just derailed the question just a little bit because I wanted to make sure yeah. no, we that's, covered that's that good. before we answered the question. But I know it was about you know, if you're not dying to hire someone, then you shouldn't make an offer and, and striking the balance, I think, right? Is that, was that the main? I think that in reality, sometimes we just need people, right? You know, a business yes. can't run right. without human beings. So, right. you know, maybe if we set our standards too high, we'd, mm -hmm. our business is going to fall over. Right. And that is true. So I think there is a balance we strike. I don't think I would totally buy into that statement. It's too black and white. It doesn't take into consideration the reality of, of in both sides, right? Like employees yeah. need jobs, even if yeah. it isn't their dream job and employers need employees, even if they're not like their dream employee. And that, that is okay. Um, one of the things I think we have to do is give permission and knowledge that we don't need to be employees at one job for our whole lives and vice versa. Employers, it's okay that your employees are only a good employee for a season. And what I mean by season, it could be five years, but it's it's okay if an employee serves a purpose for a period of time. It is it, This is, you know, totally in my opinion. We'll see what other people think. But I also think it's okay if, a, if an employee outgrows a position mm -hmm. or if a company outgrows an employee or if, 
let's say you grow to a certain level and that employee, you know, some of your employees did really great when you were one size, but they really struggle now that you're a bigger company. Mm-hmm. Those are all okay. It's better to actually release um, an employee in those circumstances so that they can go find someone. But it's also okay to say, you know, right now I need this person. They've got the skills I need. They've got what I need right now. They may not be my, you know, most perfect choice, but then I'm going to keep, again, the same thing, keep the door open mm-hmm. for the perfect person to come in and recognize them when they show up. It could be even at a dinner party you go to, who knows, you know, just keep your mind open that I'm always willing to sort of entertain the other people as they might come into your ecosystem. But I totally agree with you. There are times when you got to do what you got to do for your business, for sure. I love that. And I love that phrase, you know, for a season. And this is the reality, isn't it, of, of, of the work environment for most of us. We recently celebrated someone at work who'd been there for 40 years and and yeah. people were just yeah exactly that was the reaction of everyone in the workplace when they heard because that a generation or two ago would have been normal you know my grandfather retired from his job and he got his watch and i think this was the thing you you worked your career in and that was that was how things operated but i think Think, right. Taking a seasonal approach, you know, we t- we have seasonal fruit pickers in Australia, but you know, a seasonal right. approach to mm-hmm. to work is is good. But I also really love Erin your your emphasis throughout on this idea of keeping your mind open, and mm-hmm. it's certainly something that we talk about a lot. As our show is obviously about how to make decisions and how to make choices, I think keeping our mind open to take in new information and that new information might be meeting somebody who's looking for a job and could be a great match for our company. So look, I I think I might skip ahead to a question, noting the time and you've been very generous with your time. And I know your focus is very much on that recruitment uh, piece. And then I know others sometimes hit this problem as well. Maybe we're getting the people in, but they seem Mm -hmm. to be moving out the door again more quickly than we would like. So it's not enough to find great people if they all leave within six months. Yeah, definitely. Because that season is too short. (laughs) Yes, that is too short, definitely. So so are there any tips that you think or any principles that you would say are really key to retaining great employees? Yes, definitely. And I always appreciate this question too. So a couple of things. One, getting the match right obviously helps. Right. We know that. Okay. So moving beyond that piece, there has been some recent research that I found very fascinating and also, but very, very validating because it's something that we've seen and have been saying for years. Um, It came out of MIT Sloan and it was research on retention and what really helps people retain. And I think one of the ones, you know, we all know, be competitive and pay if you can give as, you know, the best benefits that you can, you know, Mm. some businesses can afford more than others, but just do the best that you can. But a couple of things that that were surprising, I guess, to a lot of people is the social emotional component Mm. is often overlooked and not even talked about. And, And I know right now, at least in the United States, mental health is talked a lot about in the workplace. That's not even exact. I mean, it's tied together Mm. what I'm about to talk about, but it's not even necessarily mental health. It's what I mean by social emotional. It's letting people, we're all human beings. We aren't machines, you know, we're human beings. We have feelings, we have hearts, we have all the things that make us fabulous creatures, but still also complex and interesting, but we want human connection. Mm. And it's really important that there is some kind of intentional efforts and energy put into that social emotional component of a workplace. So that could mean things like social events, having lunch together, you know, helping, making people truly feel seen, Mm. heard, 
and that it's safe place. Because again, we're human. And if we make a mistake, it needs to be a safe place to make mistakes. So these kinds of things go into actually what this research showed is people who will say, I'll never leave my job or they've been there for years. It's because they truly feel seen, heard, understood, honored, respected, all the normal human stuff that we want. And this can be at any level. It needs to be at every level in your organization. And it's surprising how many organizations don't get that right. Like, you know, honestly, it seems so basic, Yes, but we have a very hard time understanding how to do it and, and often put that aside for the things like the raises and the money and the benefits. And at the end of the day, this, this, and the research came out as the number one mm. kind of predictor for retention mm. was a well, social emotional piece. Well, that's brilliant. And it certainly resonates, you know, from my own experience, the times where I've felt happiest at work. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The work's interesting and fulfilling, but it's that social emotional piece as well that Mm -hmm. absolutely is true. And similarly, in the times when I've been most unhappy, it's not been because the work's been boring and it's not been because the pay has not been high enough. It's because that piece is missing. So that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Now, listen, just before we wrap up, it's been fantastic Mm -hmm. talking with you. And I am absolutely sure a lot of people will find this extremely helpful. So I'm going to be a bit um, cheeky and ask if there might be a chance that we could get you back in the future to talk again, Erin. Yes. Oh, I would be so honored. And there is so much to unpack around these topics. So yes, I would be honored. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, if people want to know more about Zephyr Connects and more about Mm -hmm. the work you do and get some more great tips on how to make employment decisions, how do they follow you? Okay, there's a couple different ways. I mean, we do have our website, which is a great, you know, resource for learning about us. And that is at www.zephyrconnects.com. And I will spell it because not everybody knows the word Zephyr. So it's Z E. P-H-Y-R, and it means a gentle breeze. Um, And then you can follow, if you go into LinkedIn, type in Erin Longmoon. I think I'm the only one. Um, So it's really easy to find me on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Um, And we're also on Instagram. So all of those, if you type in Zephyr Connects or my name, you'll find us. That's wonderful. You're very lucky you're not a Smith. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very, hard, very hard to find me. Thank you again. You've given us uh, some wonderful insights. And uh, I've got a couple of points that I will go and definitely apply uh, next time I'm in a recruitment situation. So that's that's been so helpful. Thank you so much. Oh, good. You are so welcome. Thank you. Well, Tess, what were your main takeaways from that interesting interview? I really like the point about trying your best not to compromise. You know, of course, we all need a job or the vast majority of us need a job. So you do sometimes have to take one that isn't your dream, particularly when you're straight out of university. But if that is the case, keep looking, networking, find a mentor, job shadow. Just don't accept unhappiness or boredom or just feeling unsatisfied. We spend too much of our lives at work to be feeling like that every day. Yeah, Erin definitely emphasized that, didn't she? I thought that was great. And as you said, you know, we have to be realistic, but if we're really unhappy, do something about it. And that's really the premise of this whole show, isn't it? That you have the power to choose, so make good choices. I also really liked Erin's answer to my question about values. It's something I've pondered a lot. You can't really learn a whole lot about a company just by reading the values on their website. And as we jokingly said, no company is going to put up as their values. We cheat, we steal, we're greedy, we're selfish, we're happy to bully people. So how do you find out what the real values of the company are? And Erin's advice to ask story-based questions was good. 
But she said, you don't just ask questions like, tell us a time when you were fantastic. But a question that says something like, tell us about a time when your values were challenged in the company. Tell us a time when you had to let someone go. Tell us a time when you chose to leave a job. What were the circumstances that led you to make that decision? And as I was thinking about that, I reckon you could learn a lot, couldn't you, as people uh, told that story? Yeah, definitely. So many great tips out there for anyone who's on the cusp of a, a big decision like this one. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please send it to a friend. It would make our day. And also, we have a new feature available for you to send us some love. Uh, you can click on the Buy Me A Coffee link on our website, goodbetterright.com.au or on our socials. Uh, we love making this podcast. We really do. And we're committed to keeping it ad-free. And your support helps us to make more episodes. Bye for now. 